Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. If you want to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-R-E-A-L-J-B. The show is written, produced, and edited by me. Hey, everyone. We're going to do something a little different this week. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that I've launched a second podcast alongside Joey Lewandowski about the films of 1999, titled, appropriately, 1999 The Podcast. You might also remember an episode I did of Hard to Believe last summer with Chelsea Weber-Smith about the cultural trope of the killer clowns and why clowns are sources of both horror and comedy. Well, for our third episode of 1999, Chelsea joined us to talk about a movie from that year that was built almost entirely out of the ingredients that stand as the foundation for folklore, urban legend, and all of our horror tropes, woven together in what's perhaps the most famous something-out-of-nothing movie ever made, The Blair Witch Project. We got into a pretty interesting discussion about how that film harnessed existing belief structures and how what you believed about the film going in fundamentally defined how you experienced it. So to give you a sampling of what we're up to on the other podcast, this week we're going to feature that episode. And we'll be back with a brand new Hard to Believe next week. Enjoy, and if you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review 1999 The Podcast wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I'm John Brooks. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And today we find ourselves in July of 1999, Joey. And coincidentally, this movie and our next one were both released in the U.S. in the very same week. What a week. What a week. What a week. Absolutely. So determining who got to go first... Uh, came down to a personal call on my end. There was such internal strife here that I was like, I don't know any of this. But you, you, you struggled. You, you grappled with the decision of what comes first. I, I did. Um, so I decided that I'm just going to base it on my own. Uh, I guess prejudices is not the word, but my own personal experience sure. um, of how I saw these two movies. So one of these two movies got a limited release run starting on July the 14th um, before it went wide release two weeks later. Um, and it just so happens that I stood in line around the block to see it at the Neptune Theater in Seattle during its limited release run. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't think we've talked about where geographically you were in 1999. Were you in Seattle the entire year? Um, guess, <laughs> that's a really good question. Because I just I, I know that you live in the Pacific Northwest, but I yeah. picture you as either New England or Brooklyn and nowhere else. But like, was were you in Seattle in 99? So I was in Seattle for the summer of '99. So a lot of the summer movies, okay, um, okay, okay, are going to be are going to be Seattle. So Phantom Menace, I first saw. Actually, I first saw in Massachusetts. Um, so uh, just to give you a little <laughs> rundown of where I was in '99 throughout yeah, the entire it. year, I was in college. So I was um, like three quarters of that year. I was in Ithaca, New York, where I saw a lot of these movies. Well, that's new too. Okay, okay. Um, I had a bunch of friends in New York City, so I would visit them sometimes. So I saw some of them in New York City um, and uh, spent a little bit of time in Boston early the summer of 99 with uh, my friend Jake Weisskopf. Um, and then so the rest of that summer, I was in Seattle. So a bunch okay. of these movies I saw in Seattle. Um, one of them, which we'll talk about in the next round, of course, is a very 
Seattle movie, uh, but we'll get to that later. And uh, then the, the, towards like the end of the year, so like the, the prestige um, Academy Award films that we're going to talk about one of those pretty soon, uh, I would have seen in, in, in Ithaca because I was gotcha. There. Okay. 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 End of the year. Um, and I was in New Jersey seeing none of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, I was lucky enough that the Neptune Theater, which is a great theater in Seattle, Washington, um, one of the theaters chosen for the limited run of, of today's movie, uh, which stars Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard as themselves, or rather, I guess, people who happen to share their exact same names. We'll, get, we'll talk about that in the episode. <laughs> uh, and written and directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez is The Blair Witch Project. This is an exciting one. I'm really looking forward to this one. I This is a really, a movie that I have a lot of like conflicting opinions about, but um, ultimately is is a, I think, a, a landmark movie and a, overall a, a, a great one too. Um, what are your initial feelings about The Blair Witch Project? I like it. I've seen it once. Like most of these movies, I will have seen it once. Well, no, not there, there's a blend. Uh, but yeah, I I like it a lot. It's one that, and we might talk about this in the episode that I wish that I could have seen during the hype cycle of it. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure a bunch of the other movies this year, this in 1999, that we'll cover for the podcast. I saw after the fact, obviously, and so like a lot of the impact of those movies is not quite lost on me, but it wasn't as impactful as it had been if I had seen this in theaters like opening weekend or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I sort of see most things now. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. I think it's a really good movie. I'm very interested to hear what our guest has to think about it uh, because I know that she is a super fan of this movie. Well, we'll talk about her in in a, in a moment. I don't want to jump um, ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's interesting you say, like, like you use the word hype there. And I think this is, I was thinking about this a lot that year um it really was kind of the 1990s where the word hype to discuss how a movie is marketed um became sort of part of the common parlance and i remember that you know people would talk about like the phantom menace as a movie that was really hyped and it's like is that the right word because did you really need to like develop hype? is that a better word it, well yeah and we talked about when we talked about phantom menace about the anticipation right and that being a a, a big um a word that we should associate with that movie Blair Witch is a really interesting case study in this because it is a combination of like hype and what we call buzz. And I think those are two different things, right? Like when you say a movie is overhyped or a movie is like highly buzzed about, you're not saying the same thing. Do you think is is buzz organic and hype is manufactured? I think so. And the thing about the Blair Witch Project is that it's a really interesting combination of both of those things, right? Like the buzz that was generated was heavily manufactured. And that's really part of sort of what this movie is. So it's really hard to know like whether or not Blair Witch is a a product of more buzz or more hype or some really interesting and unique combination of both of those things. But either way, I mean, this movie really is more of an experiment or kind of a project than it is a, a film. Um, and we'll talk more about that as well when we when we Well, discuss, it's aptly titled The Blair Witch Project and not The Blair Witch Film. And that's not an accident, right? Because there's sort of an in-world, there's an in-world reason for that. But there's also sort of an external world reason yeah. for that, right? Because they are doing a project, like a, like a, a school, you know. Would on... you say, and I, I don't know the answer because I haven't thought about the other movies. Is this the most experimental movie we'll cover for this podcast? Probably, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Because um, there's like, there's other movies that have come out either before or since then that have been as or more experimental. But in terms of like, 
what sets this year apart and all of the like movies that people remember like this is the weirdest one even though like it winds up being kind of like now you watch it now it's like almost more normal because it's like we've we've grown Mm. accustomed to what it does but like in terms of what it was doing in the time at the moment it is probably the weirdest and most experimental and like could have flopped spectacular i think if it flopped you know we we just probably wouldn't be talking about it or maybe we would with a different lens altogether right but like yeah, I think in terms of like being overtly experimental, um, in that it was a movie that built its the whole premise of the movie is that the the limited budget was like a feature, not a bug, <laughs> right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of in terms of like pulling off that sort of high minded idea, um, and then also the you know we wouldn't be talking about it if not for the rampant success of the movie, which I'll get to in a second. But yeah, I, I think when we talk about 99, one of the sort of underlying features of that year, as we talked about with, with Brian Raftery was that there was a lot of like rule breaking and groundbreaking and some of it more subtle. I think in like the matrix in some ways that's more subtle Um, in Blair, which it's a lot more sort of like, let's try this and see if we can make a hit movie out of it. Um, And and in in that case, yeah, I think it sort of stands alone um, in that, in that year. Um, either way, so it's produced on a budget of less than a half a million dollars and grossed 248.6 million at the box office. Pretty good return. Pretty good return. Freaking nuts. And I should, I should mention that like, I think the actual movie itself, like actually making it was less than a million. Um, and, and the half a million estimate has to do with the marketing campaign it was as big a part of the movie as the movie itself was um it was 1999's 10th highest grossing movie but and this is interesting it never debuted at first place huh okay okay so a lot of that had to do with the the competition um on on the one hand uh it opened wide against the julia roberts and richard Gere vehicle the runaway bride which we will talk about at some point but um the second week it was in wide release was against an obscure little film called the sixth sense huh <laughs> and this um, is also while the other movie that you're grappling with in terms of the release is also like in theaters right man i know that like the whole point of the podcast is there's a lot of good movies that year but that still seems crazy it is wild it's right. wild that you'd make a, a quarter of a billion dollars and never be in first place like that is that is just a i don't i don't know that there's ever going to be that statistic ever yeah, no, again now, like you know a lot of movies make that not a lot of movies but a lot of movies make that and it's like a hundred million dollar opening and then it just goes away mm-hmm. and like something else takes its place and like they all like but yeah it doesn't it's not like 50 million four weeks in a row that doesn't win the box office like that's crazy well and also i think the other part of, of why what sort of explains that is that it was a hit movie in its limited release as well. So it was released in 27 theaters and in 27 theaters made $1.5 million, which is absolutely bonkers. So it's that like is everything a, everywhere all at once of 1999. Yeah, I think so. And like, that's why I had to literally like, it was a line around the block to get into the Neptune for every screening of that movie. And you had to be there like an hour and a half early to get so into it. So was it the only theater in Seattle showing the movie? 
Yeah. Probably. Until, yeah, until it's wi- wider release. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And it was really fun. I mean, it was a bunch of like you know, Seattle hipsters just like waiting in line for like a 10 p.m. showing of this really weird random movie. And I know um, it's five yeah, years after the fact cool. and Grunge had died, but I'm imagining you're all dressed like Kurt Cobain, like, hey, man, are you over it? No, no, still not One, over it, man. 100, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> But that's fine to imagine that, because why hey, not? Hey, that A-Rod uh, kid on the Mariners is pretty good, huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> like the cut of that kid's jib. Yeah. Uh, I believe he was on the Rangers by then. 99? <laughs> no, I think he was. No, oh, you're right. You're right. No, he was, he, that's, you're right. You're right. It was until, because he was part of the of the, the 2000 uh, team where they won like 175 games, whatever it was. Uh, a lot of games. Anyway, yeah. I might have just completely botched that statistic in that year, but that's I fine. think they won like um, 116 in 2001 when they had Ichiro. I think that was the it. one. Yeah. Something like and that. also Ken Griffey Jr. And anyway, this is way off topic. 1999 Baseball, the podcast. <laughs> Let's get back to Blair Witch. Uh, the story really begins at the Sundance Film Festival at the beginning of that year. So this is from a January 25th, 1999 edition of the LA Times. I'm going to read quite a bit of this. I think it's, it's pretty... It's it's pretty, okay. an int- it's an interesting little um, little relic of the past. Uh, so the LA Times says the following. The scariest movie of the 1999 Sundance Film Festival. A mock documentary about three supposed student filmmakers chasing witches in the haunted Maryland woods. Debuted here to a packed house just after midnight Sunday. Setting off an all-night negotiation and turning a pair of no-name writer-directors into stars. Just before the sun rose over the ski slopes, Artisan Entertainment made the first buy of the festival, paying between $1 million and $2 million for worldwide rights to the Blair Witch Project, a raw, low-budget thriller that some were calling the movie equivalent of garage band rock. It's basically like a home movie of three kids going into hell, said Blair Witch co-writer and co-director Eduardo Sanchez. Working through the night, Artisan, which made what many consider the best buy of last year's festival, Darren Aronofsky's Pie, Shut out Fine Line Cinema and Miramax, among others, that had planned to begin initial discussions at daybreak. Meanwhile, the filmmakers, five Florida-based horror nuts aged 27 to 35, who just weeks ago had their water shut off for lack of payment, were suddenly the talk of the town. With a first-look arrangement for future projects with Artisan, which also secured a deal for a Blair Witch sequel, the five friends watched their fortunes change literally overnight. So that's like the, the great rags to riches story that was one of the sort of genesis stories of the Blair Witch Project where people were like oh there's this movie that came out at Sundance and everybody had this bidding war over it and it's like this new thing you've never seen before and like when we talk about the organic buzz like that's kind of where it starts long before the really elaborate ad ad campaign took over but um, there you go so it really does begin begin in January that this movie sort of was on the radar of a lot of people and we're in May right Mm mm-hmm we're in July. July. Okay. We're in yeah. May in real life, though. That's what I was asking. That's we are. Li- I, t- we are, I totally yes. knew when this movie actually came out. It is currently May. <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty two. Artisan. Interesting. Uh, it was an interesting little company that sort of came into existence. Did a, did a, a lot of really big things in a couple of years in the late nineties, and then kind of faded into obscurity. Um, it only existed as Artisan from 1998 through 2005, but 1999 was pretty much inarguably its best year, uh, featuring Blair Witch in addition to four other films that we will eventually cover here. Uh, the Buena Vista Social Club, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Stir of Echoes, and The Limey, which I know is a favorite of yours. I've seen two of those. Can you guess which two? You know one of them for uh, sure. I'm going to guess it's Ghost Dog. Yeah, because of our friend Brian Scully, which is just like, this is a good movie. I'm like, okay. 
Yeah, it is a good movie. Um, you will very much like Buena Vista Social Club. And I'm really interested to see what you say about Stir of Echoes because I think it's good. I think it's a good movie and I think it's it's held up pretty well. Okay. Um, but but we will, well, that's that's quite a ways off, but I'm excited to talk about that with you. Um, so the seven months between its debut at Sundance and its wide release in theaters became as much a part of the movie as the movie itself, featuring an unprecedented marketing campaign that included a website with fake news clippings and background data on the Blair Witch lore, and a sci-fi channel documentary about Blair's history that acted as a kind of a prequel to the film. Um, it was, in a lot of ways, the ultimate buzz film, as I said, but one that people were desperate to see in large part as a payoff to the marketing campaign that had led up to it, but it was also well-received by critics. So Blair Witch has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86% um, and an 81% uh, Metacritic score, which gives it Metacritic's must-see seal of approval, which is sure. a, a big deal. You see the words like imaginative and inventive that often show up in the assessments of the films and of the film and critics reviews. Um, in, in the New York Times, Elvis Mitchell led off his review by saying, quote, like a cabin built entirely out of soda cans, the Blair Witch Project is a nifty example of how to make something out of nothing. Nothing but imagination and a game plan so enterprising, it should elevate its creators to pin-up status at film schools everywhere. The less generous reviews point to the film resting too much on gimmickry and not enough on story building, like Kevin Thomas in the Los Angeles Times, who called it, quote, a clever, entertaining stunt, no more, no less. Still, most critics acknowledge this inherent flaw while praising the film all the same, like Entertainment Weekly's Lisa Schwartzbaum, who said, quote, as a horror picture, Blair Witch may not be much more than a cheeky game, a novelty with the cool, blurry look of an avant-garde artifact. But as a manifestation of multimedia synergy, it's pretty spooky. All right. Here's something that I'm interested in, though, Joey, and I think this is something that we're going to talk about, again, more sort of why when we, okay. when we talk to our guest today. Rotten Tomatoes audience score for Blair Witch Project. Again, its critic score is 86%. Oh, I, I have no, I don't even know where I would guess what this would be. I could see it being anywhere between like 50 and 100. Okay, it is between 50 and 100. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now force you into this. Is it on the lower end of the 50 to 100 scale? Below 75. Uh, so I... Mm, Yes, I th I think it's I think it's in the set. I think if I had to pick a, a range, I would say between 70 and 75. That's just where my okay. that's where my bullseye dart is going. That's what I would have guessed, too. It has an audience score of 56 percent. Really? Wow. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how much of that is retroactively people being like, I don't like found footage and this caused it all. So this is yeah, that's what interests me. I because, OK, for people who don't know, in general, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is generally higher than the critic score, right? Like nine times out of 10. Well, um, unless it's like a real art house film, not an art house right. film, but like there's sometimes like a movie you're like, oh, I get like critics are going to like that, but the audience is going to hate that, right? It's like those kind of things. But yes, generally, especially for like summer movies and summer blockbustery kind of movie, even right. this isn't a blockbuster, but like it, it sort of has like flavors of that. Right. Yes, almost always. And then sometimes they're close, but like it's almost people people who just like movies generally like things more than people who are get paid to like movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this, I mean, to me, what's so weird about this again is as you say, like, this is not, it's not like, like blue or red or white. Like it's not one of those where, you know, the critics are going to be gaga about it. And you might see the audience being like, oh, I don't understand French art house films or whatever, but are those movies this year or no, 
No, 90, white and blue were 94, 93, 94. No, they were all 93 to 94. Okay. So, yeah, but I, I don't know why those came to mind. But that, that just, it, it's sort of. A, no, but you yeah, know, you're right. You're right. It, it's an example of like when you might expect an audience score to be a little bit lower, not like massively lower. I mean, I don't think an audience would be like, oh, red. <laughs> Fuck that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very weird that you have this disparity. And so it kind of begs the question, like, is Blair Witch a movie that is so of its time and needed to be appreciated like within that very specific context in order to work really as a movie at all? Um, and is that what's responsible for all of this? So I well, let, we're going to pose that question to our guest today. So Joey, who is today's guest? Our guest today is writer, researcher, podcaster, and host of the podcast American Hysteria and Blair Witch Project superfan, Chelsea Weber-Smith. We're going to take a break, and we will be back in a moment with Chelsea Weber-Smith. Hello, Chelsea. It's so nice to have you. How are you? I'm... Recovering from COVID, so I will sound a little bit stuffy, but otherwise, I am very happy to be here to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies, so thanks for having me. Um, you're so welcome. I immediately thought of you when we came up with the idea for this podcast um, for this particular movie, because I know how much you love it, and also because you've you've like you've like done research on this on this particular movie. Oh, yeah. that, I can't be bothered to do so. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna rely on you for a bunch of insider insider knowledge. Um, before we do that, you host a podcast. That's right. It's called American Hysteria. This is true. If I got the title right, um, you want <laughs> to tell people <laughs> want to tell people what that's all about. Sure. Yeah, our show covers uh, American fantastical thinking, and sometimes it's moral panics, or urban legends, or conspiracy theories, or kind of any uh, any abnormal sort of ideologies. Abnormal. Who knows what that means? But um, departing from what we consider um, reality that we share as a collective group of people. Um, and so, yeah, we, it's a scripted show. So it's a lot of me talking uh, and trying to just bring some of my own passion to some of the strangest stories in our history and figure out why we fear the wrong things and believe in wild stuff. Which we do. <laughs> we sure do. And the Blair Witch Project <laughs> kind of falls into it being such a uh, prolific hoax as it was. So, Right, right. Yeah, it really does. Like I, a lot of this movie, I mentioned in our very first episode that we recorded um, that, you know, the project word here is really kind of uh, the key word, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is a movie that is so much in some ways, like less than a movie and so much more than a movie at the same time, right? Like we're almost the, the movie part of the movie is kind of secondary to everything else about it, which is a really cool kind of fascinating and groundbreaking um, experiment in like what a movie can be and like what you can what you can do with it. Absolutely. It's so much more than just, I mean, it's a multimedia 
project, as you said, right. um, that utilized everything from the media to um, college campuses, message boards. You know, this is a movie that could have only happened in the late 90s um, before the internet became closer to what we know today. When did you first see Blair Witch? In what context? And what was the initial viewing experience of it like for you? I saw it probably as soon as it came on home video. So I was 11 in 99. So I would say I was 11 when I saw it. Um, my parents went without me and I was very upset. They went into the theater <laughs> um, on a date and that was their excuse for not taking me um, because we've always, we were always a horror movie family. So it wasn't the content. It was um, the situation that left me out. So, um, cause at that point I had seen the trailer and I remember seeing the trailer better even than I remember seeing the movie. And that was yeah. just that thought of like, there because it wasn't like Texas Chainsaw where you're like, I know this is fake. Like this is you there was a question, especially when you're in your like magical thinking years of like, is there a better age than 11 to like believe in anything? So like it was definitely um, the trailer that made me think and I was already a true crime person. <laughs> So I was like always watching true crime shows. And my first thought was like, there's no way this is legal. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I immediately went on the website and um, really, I remember, I believe I saw first the, because uh, it was on TV, the uh, documentary that they made to accompany the documentary. So the documentary about the documentary that that fleshed out all of the lore. Um, and that that's its own thing I'm sure we'll talk about but um mm -hmm. yeah and and I think just seeing it I just I thought it was so scary and so much fun and I showed everybody and uh, I started making the Blair Witch stick figures that was something I really enjoyed doing and like hanging them in weird places as a prank so I was a very weird kid <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it was more again like it wasn't even just the movie it was all of the mystique that surrounded it that I just I couldn't get enough of it yeah and there's something about those like I think I'm glad you brought up the stick figures um because that's one of those things that is so like it's so demonstrative of like how, what the movie is like what's so brilliant about it because it's so simple and so easy to reproduce and like so kind of like on its own kind of benign right but but it also is like incredibly weird and haunting and and terrifying at the same time so it's like a, it's this like low budget scare tactic that you know just sort of captures the imagination which is exactly sort of what the whole ethic of the Blair Witch project is um as a as kind of a movie and and a and a project right as a multimedia uh project Absolutely Joey you were also 11 as we have Aww. reiterated many times <laughs> on the show what was your first Blair Witch experience Yeah I was going to say I listened to 
at your suggestion, I listened to Chelsea's episode about the Blair Witch, so I knew her history, and I was like, oh, I've lost the edge that I'm like, I can't play the young card anymore, because my <laughs> our guest is the same age, but I can now play the sheltered card, where I was mm-hmm. absolutely not allowed to watch this for, you know, I don't know how long. I watched this in college, like most of these other movies that we're going to be covering on this podcast, and I don't know what the date was, but I watched in a row for the first time the movie that Chelsea just mentioned, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then Carrie, and then Blair Witch. Clearly, I was going through something that week <laughs> in some summer in college. Something and great. Then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then Scream a couple days later, and then oh, Who Can yeah. Kill a Child, nice. which is a crazy movie, and then Pieces. So, like, I was I'm sorry. Going, Wait, what was, what was the last one? Who Can Kill a Child? I have oh, no idea what that is. So it's a movie. Chelsea doesn't know what it is. It is obscure. <laughs> so it's a That's movie. I in between I watched the Last American <laughs> Virgin because I was I was on like an Eli Roth kick and I watched this like interview on YouTube where he's like, here's my five favorite movies that nobody knows about. And so oh. one was Last American Virgin. One was Who Can Kill a Child. It's basically this couple goes on vacation to this island somewhere and there's no adults around and it's just a bunch of kids. And it, cl- it clearly become or quickly becomes clear that like these kids uh, have killed all the adults. And so the whole like question of the movie is like, if you had to, to survive, could you kill a child? So, uh, yeah, it kind of rules. <laughs> That's <Yikes>. wild. <laughs> so, yeah, so I watched that that week or, you know, the week after as well. So I saw it in college. I feel like it's the kind of thing where, and we were talking about this a little bit with Star Wars, where I'm, a, I'm in a weird age where like, I, I feel like if I was a little bit older, I would have been like so into this because I love like what would become like alternate reality games like when cloverfield was coming out like i remember being into that and just like all those kind of like i liked falling down the rabbit hole but i was not online when i was 11 my parents were not like letting me watch horror movies and so i just kind of missed this all together and i i kind of i'm i'm bummed because like by the time i was able to see it like i knew you know not not the details of it but i knew that it wasn't real and i feel like Mm. At any point, in, if you're able to see this movie in any way, thinking even like 1% that it, it might have been real, yeah. I think that's magical, right? But like, yeah. Yeah. by the time I saw it, I'm like, oh no, like that's, you know, it's, I, I know it's just a movie. And like, it's, you know, it's it's a good movie that I like, but it's also, I, I didn't have that experience. And I don't know, like, I think like what Chelsea said before, like, I don't think that this kind of thing could be done today like i think going back i don't know if either of you ever seen uh cannibal holocaust do either of you know that have you seen that i actually i've actually just uh watched that for the very first time uh in preparation for an episode we're doing uh so yes i have seen cannibal holocaust john John, have you seen cannibal holocaust i would not be able to get through eight minutes of that movie do you know what it's about or no Yes. So it's basically I did not know. <laughs> it's kind of like out. it's kind of like the same thing as this in a way, right? Like it this is, like yeah. crew goes down to South America and then they go yeah. missing and then they find the footage. But in that movie, like the the aftermath, like and it's something that we'll talk about here, the director like refused to admit that it was a movie. He's like, no, these people mm-hmm. were killed. And, like he went to prison, I believe, because he refused to say, no, they're fine. And so like they they went to court to like prove and it was just like this it's this crazy and like that's from 1980 so that's like way pre-internet right so like 99 you're able to like get like weird stuff like this is i don't know like there's something magical about and like in a weird kind of messed up way where it's just like oh these kids might have died and like we're watching them on tv yeah it's it, you know so i don't know it's 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 special and i i saw it too late and I'm, I'm bummed that i didn't get to see this i didn't get to experience <laughs> it the way that it like quote unquote should have been seen i think yeah. I, and cannibal holocaust too like if you watch it 
near to when you watch the Blair Witch Project, there's like absolute homages in Blair Witch. Mm. Like that was definitely their main um, inspiration because yeah, there were sort of precautions taken to, as they did with Blair Witch, like making their IMDb page say that they were missing, like these different things um, they were, that was taken, I think, from Cannibal Holocaust or at least movies around that time. And the other thing I want to say that I think one thing, like, I think it's it's both easy and difficult to compare the two movies, but I think the one thing that Cannibal Holocaust definitely has over Blair Witch, because it's more of like a a cinematic experience, is the score is outstanding and the theme is amazing. And I just want to give props to Euphoria for using the Cannibal Holocaust theme on season two in the perfect needle drop moment. (laughs) I was just like, I cannot believe like like 1% of 1% of their audience has probably seen Cannibal Holocaust. And I was just like, I, I, this is, this is a moment made for me. So uh, if you like Blair Witch, I would recommend see Cannibal Holocaust if you can get through it. If you dare, like if you dare, the, yeah. the hardest of warnings, because they also, you know, that is much closer to what we think of as like a hoax snuff film. Uh, yeah, definitely. Because as much as the Blair, it's just, it's I, I whatever. <laughs> we can move on from Cannibal Holocaust. Let's let's. It, all right, this is now 1980. The podcast, and we're talking exclusively about Cannibal <laughs> Holocaust. We've been working on our snuff film series, so I'm like so oh. deep in all these snuff film hoaxes. It's so wild. It's gonna be good. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. <laughs> 1999. So I was 19 when this came out, and. Uh, it's funny, like what you were saying about the whole kind of having any kind of doubt that it was real, right? Um, I remember very much by the time I went to go see the movie um, in the theater, I saw it like opening, you know, the opening Friday. I knew everything about how it wasn't real. Uh, I, I watched the sci-fi channel special. I, I I was a big like premiere magazine reader. So I, I read about like the movie appearing in film festivals and interviews with the directors. And I knew the ins and outs of how they did it and what they did and why. But there's something so I, there was an element of the marketing of this movie that was that's such a big part of it that even though they were very upfront about this being fake, there were elements of it that allowed you to like somehow switch that off and pretend that it wasn't and just like give into that tiny hint of doubt, right? That like this actually was really happening. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the no name actors, right? The sort of, I mean, the aesthetic of it, obviously. Um, the, the way that the sci-fi channel documentary just fit perfectly in with every other documentary about supposedly real paranormal events and that sort of thing. And so it lived in these, like both of these worlds at the same time. So that when you went to go see it, like you knew it wasn't real, but as with all like conspiracy theories, there's that like tiny little 1% chance that it might be that you're still really kind of enamored by. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really worked for me. And I saw it and, uh, you know, a bunch of my friends who have a much higher threshold for horror than I do were like, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going camping ever. I know you guys like to camp, but like, that's not happening now. So that was great and a thrilling experience. But like, I want to go inside with as many lights as possible um, forever. And, and uh, 
yeah, it was a it was a really remarkable experience. And I remember also like buying it on VHS. And I don't think I ever watched it on VHS because I was like, I feel like that's the way what? to watch it, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like It is. But everybody I knew had already seen it. And so like it's not really rewatchable. You know, like I think and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Chelsea, I think you said something along the lines of like this couldn't really happen to like it had to be made in the 90s. But I feel like with the way that movies get distributed, you could do something like, like it wouldn't be in theaters, but like there could be like a viral video. I'm sure that there has been that I'm just not thinking of that like goes around YouTube or something that's like this that people are like, is this real? And then like, I feel like the, the, distribu- the distribution of that, like, you know, it wouldn't be a VHS tape, but I feel like the underground kind of bootleg of it all, it would have made it feel more authentic and real. Like, oh, this is a copy of this thing that, you know, my friend got or whatever. And like, I don't know how long you could like keep that lie going, but I feel like that could be doable back then or today. It just, you know, it wouldn't make money, which I guess is kind of the issue, right? Right. And you know what it makes me think of? Do you guys know or remember the the footage of the man who allegedly got lost in the Paris catacombs? It came out like 10 years ago. No, I don't think so. And that was part of a documentary on another, um, I don't know what it was, Discovery maybe, like in the documentary itself seems a little fake, about this footage, but the footage is so scary. I mean, it's just in the catacombs, literally like someone getting more and more frantic alone, and then they drop the camera and they're running. And you know, and I think that's what's so good about Blair Witch too, is like, you don't see the monster in this footage. And I think that's part of why it can feel so real is because most of what's happening is happening completely off camera, even sound wise. It's like, there's a, a sense of like, that this could be real because there are no monsters. And I think that's what's really effective about this. And this is something that we talked about in an episode we recorded that's not out yet similarly. So there's there's a collective of editors online that used to go by Racer Trash, and they did a version of this movie and they cut together like it's really it's it's more experimental than most of the other things they've done. But what this captures and what they do in that in one segment is like there's very few movies that I think are as effective as Blair Witch at demonstrating terror in a way that like is almost like objectively not scary like there's nothing to be scared about but the way that it builds the world around it feels like the walls are closing in on you and there is a segment at the end of this thing that this recut of Blair Witch uh, where they're just like there's a handful of different movies that are are cut together in a way that like makes you feel uneasy in a way that like no other movie is able to do. And so I think what Chelsea's saying is so like that's that's why this works, right? Like there's if you saw the witch, I think it would be dumb. It would ruin it. And mm. I think the fact that there is no witch, that everything is in your mind, and that so few other movies are as effective at being able to do anything that's even remotely approaching this is remarkable. And that I think is why it works as well today as it did then. As long as you're willing to buy into it, either it's not going to work for you, it's going to work for you. But like, if you're willing to like give it the benefit of the doubt, I think because it's so not basic, but like simple, right? And like, I think it doesn't explain itself, and that's like my favorite part is that like you know there are. Po- points at which the characters say, oh my God, I think this is like rednecks in the woods or, you know, or it's this phantom of this witch or potentially there's like a child murderer, you know, there's just different possibilities of what it could be. So even though you don't see the monster, you see like remnants of these weird parts of the monster, like what they're leaving behind, like these breadcrumbs. Um, But it allows you to be like, 
put one foot in reality and be like, maybe there are like weird people in the woods. Maybe there is like some kind of witch in the woods that's a being that we can comprehend, or maybe it is paranormal. And that kind of lets it be more real because you have to decide whether it's like of this world or not. And that's part of what I think is kind of like the immersive element of it, which is sort of what I was alluding to earlier, which is like, nobody went in to see, well, a few people did. Like that that probably is true that some people were like, well, what's this movie? And I just assumed it was a documentary. (laughs) And I'm sure there's a few people who are still in the dark about it, whatever. Um, But, you know, again, they went out of their way to be like, here's what it is. You know, like Heather Donahue was like on talk shows being like, I'm not dead, right? Before it came (laughs) out, promoting it and that sort of thing. But the sort of, as you guys sort of allude to, the kind of um, central mystery that the characters are enduring. Everything is kind of explainable, right? Like everything is like, oh, it's just punk kids, you know, playing a prank or whatever, or rednecks or like some serial killer on the loose or something that like nothing needs to invoke the supernatural. But then in the totality of it, it leaves just enough of that sort of like sense of of dread and supernatural and mystery that that sort of drives the movie. Like in the same way that the the characters are doubting what's happening to them, right? That tiny bit of doubt as you're watching it of like, well, is it real? You know, keeps creeping back in. And it's really cool to have that kind of, um, to, to have built that kind of connection with the, the protagonists of the movie um, to make it really kind of immersive and and sort of um, you know in your face. Yeah, for sure. Because it, it there, I guess there's a couple different layers here, right? There's like what the and I think and and we can maybe rehash it here, maybe we should, but like what Chelsea describes on her episode about like the improvisational nature of what these actors went through and not really knowing what they were going to find as they were sort of guided remotely through the woods. But there's like what the characters are going through, what the actors are going through, what the actors like pretending to go through as the characters. And then what the audience, like there's just all these like parallels, I think between like what you're seeing on screen and especially for like a horror baby, like you, John, like, and I say that so lovingly, (laughs) like you're, you're more likely to be freaked out because like, I think their genuine dread comes across. Yeah. And it, you know, just it's the not knowing it's, it's what your brain does to, like it's not like what's scary it's just i think it's the uneasiness i think it's the like not really knowing if you're safe or if you're not safe because like i think for for most of this movie i think they're kind of overreacting like and i get that they're worried but like they're they're in the woods there doesn't really seem to be like a threat around it's like their minds that are making it worse right they're hunting this thing that may or may not be real and they're freaked out about that but like there's nothing that they ever really encounter for most of the movie until they start seeing the, the piles of stick, the piles of rocks and the sticks and whatever that like gives them any indication that they are at any in any kind of danger. Like they might as well just be like in the woods camping, right? But like it's it's just the acute like the slow burn of like should I be worried? I might be worried. Like, am I worried? <laughs> should I be worried? I don't know if I should be worried. Like I'm, I'm now I'm freaking now I'm freaking myself out, right? Like it's one of those kind of so. Yeah. It just well, and it starts with just being lost, right? And realizing that you're lost, which I think I'm I'm a we- I like am really interested in lost in the wilderness stories, like especially like the Donner Party and these ways that like the unimaginable terror of like slowly realizing that you're lost in the wilderness and then you know that kind of is what i think creates the disease that you're talking about that then allows like the paranormal stuff to come on kind of slowly and like insidiously 
So Chelsea, um, talk to us about the way that this movie kind of harnesses the existing kind of underlying hysterias, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word, um, and kind of folklore and anxieties that that this movie kind of creates a kind of a template for, right? Like it, it sort of takes all these ingredients that um, already exist in our culture and then kind of creates something mm-hmm. as a as a piece of art, like. What do you see? Like, what do you, what do you think that they kind of are working from, and, and what do they sort of, um, you know, kind of kind of add into that formula um, that that you would point to? Well, you know, I mean, there's definitely um, witch trial lore in there. Um, there's definitely kind of like stolen children, um, the child murderer, all of those um, typical <laughs> archetypes that we see from American panics and panics all over the world. Uh, but what I think I find the most interesting in terms of like what I do in the work that I do is that they created like their own urban legend, like a very original piece of folklore that pulled definitely from a lot of historical stuff, but also really like they just made up this entire legend around this thing called the Blair Witch and all of the different ways that it has appeared throughout time. Like, for example, the, like I mentioned, the child murderer who is potentially possessed by this force, um, or else the story of a bunch of people who were killed ritualistically at Coffin mm-hmm. Rock, right? Or seeing like a white hand rise out of a river and pull a child down beneath the stones of the river. Like just this like beautiful, like esoteric, weird imagery that they definitely pulled from other sources. But I think it's just really a testament to what they were able to do. Because like you mentioned, the sci-fi documentary uh, really fleshes that out. And so did the website. You could go on the website and you could find testimonials of people who live in the town. You could find all of these different things on message boards that were planted by the crew. Um, And you could find just little breadcrumbs that they were dropping that were fleshing out this urban legend and you know they used a real town they used these things that that made it seem so real and on the edge of reality like urban legends are so you know there's satanic panic of course um Uh but i think (laughs) one of the things i respect so much about this movie is that they didn't play into the satanic panic as much as they easily could have in 1999 i mean that's you know, the trench coat mafia year. That's like Marilyn Manson and all of this like very, very satanic related stuff that kind of was was returning in its new uh, late 90s form. And I think it could have been so easy for them to go that route. But instead they went a very, uh, they they like had enough of that, enough ritual stuff, and they were going to actually add a bunch of satanic uh, symbols in the house at the end where you see all the handprints of all the children, which, by the way, were made by all the children of the crew, which is so adorable. They all got to go <laughs> oh, and make the house all scary <laughs> together. Um, but yeah, they were going to do that. And for whatever reason, they didn't. And that would have changed it. If you just saw a bunch of pentagrams and candles, it would have been it would have been really trite. And instead, they just went this 
really original route. And I love it because I, I get really stressed out whenever I see satanic cult content because I'm like, I'm not at work, you know. <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> I hate it. I can't watch horror movies like that. Yeah. I, ha- I have a simple question that I, could, I meant to look up and I didn't look up. When was this filmed? Because it, it quote unquote takes place in 1994, right? Like they're like in 1994, yeah. they're filming it. But like, was it, was it, it, it can't, it was shot very, very quickly, right? Like over a day or two. Is that right? Like mostly. So like, do you know, like what was it, was it filmed in 99? I'm just wondering about like, when you bring up the themes of that year and like the, what happened in culture, like, I wonder what the actual time frame of the production was. And if you know that offhand or if not, I could look it up while we're, I didn't, I meant to, cause I'm wondering, cause it feels both 99 and also 94 in a way that like mm-hmm. is, is unique. And I don't know where it actually like exists time-wise. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, I'm looking it up. I didn't know, but it is uh, 97, and it took eight days. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think any part of the 90s is is definitely a satanic panic year uh, option for content. But for sure. yeah, it's definitely like 97. I mean, what do you guys think? What was going on in 97? Oh boy! I was graduating from high school. Uh, I was eight. No, I was not. No, that was this is this is you. Yeah, we're two. We were. Yeah, John. We're just we're we're, (laughs) it's story time. Please, John, Uncle John, please tell us what 1997 was like. I don't think a lot. I don't. uh, Not a ton. When did Princess Diana die? Was that 97 or was that before? That was 97. Yeah. 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 And John Denver. Um, So yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a fairly decently quiet year as far as I remember for like international, uh, events, I guess. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, it's funny, actually, I, you know, what you say about the satanic panic stuff, I think that's really interesting. There's also a deep irony about that when it comes to the first sequel, but we'll talk about that, um, in, in, in in a moment, um, we'll talk about the other Blair Witch movies yes. and and one's forthcoming. Um, but a uh, question for you. Do, do you think that without the website and sci-fi stuff and the way that they very meticulously kind of went about promoting the movie as both like real and fake <laughs> at the same time, it's a really interesting way. Um, like on its own, if, if people had just been like, here's this movie and just people went to go see it in a theater is it not effective is it more effective like what role do you think like how important is the supporting material and the world building and the narrative building and the folklore building beforehand to the experience of the movie and does the movie just work like as its own its own thing without all of that it might be like a impossible to answer question because i might be trying to like proving a negative you know because like you can't go back and undo it that way but what's your what's your sense well here's what i'll say um i i think that all the supporting stuff is what made it what it was and it would have been a much more or much less memorable thing but at the same time i think that it stands on its own especially because and we haven't even talked about the way that it was filmed. Um, it was filmed in such a way that the terror, um, which we kind of talked about, the terror that we're seeing is at least 
like 50 to 75 percent real (laughs) and this is because um the process was that uh for anyone who doesn't know the actors were one um just kind of given a bunch of camera equipment and a crash course in how to use it so there's like a realistic uh amateurness to it and also that they were um not given any real formal script, what would happen is they would get GPS coordinates and they would hike to those coordinates. So they were really hiking. They were really um, out in the middle of nowhere and they would get to these GPS coordinates and they would have instructions, like very basic plot instructions, like, like you can't find the map. You think Heather was the last one that had it. And then it was like, go for it. And then the crew was following them a little bit behind and each night they were actually yelling and and screaming and they were actually screwing with their stuff and they were leaving <laughs> these these uh dolls that they made out in the woods and all these different uh you you know they left these actual human teeth. Yes, real human teeth. Um in front of the tent, right? So it's like these things are really happening and I think it's it's such a bummer. I mean, it's not a bummer because it's a that's this is also a cultural phenomenon, but scary movie so quickly made a joke of Heather Donahue's uh character and yeah. the um, you know, the snot pouring out of her nose when she's crying <laughs> and apologizing to her mom and Josh's mom and uh Mike's mom and and it just really became this thing that was a big joke because it's like, oh, that, that woman has snot running down her face um, and she looks so bad uh, instead of, wow, that's actually very incredible acting. Like this, the yeah. acting in the this movie, it's so funny because it got so many Raspberry Awards and it was just kind of seen as not good acting where that's kind of impossible because it's literally not acting for a good <laughs> chunk of it. Um, but I think in that way that the terror and the um, the story itself and the ambiguous nature of the legend that it presents and the choppy way that you just get these, these tiny pieces of this larger story um, that you never get to fit together. There's something about that that's, that's just really good storytelling for horror and so i I would have still loved it but there's no way that it would be what we think of today yeah and you know like all that stuff first of all we can talk about the ethics of doing that oh Um, god yeah (laughs) (laughs) and am i right like do i remember that the actors were kind of pissed i mean like they did one or two of them later kind of resent the whole experience and 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 kind of call it out i can't remember like i might be making that up yeah i think it really i think it was really stressful like people were would call their homes and like wish their parents like condolences on their dead kids (sighs) and you know it just was really you know everybody gets so weird about everything so people were like i'm gonna look up the phone it's amazing how how bad uh dumb people can make things sometimes right like it's a movie what are you doing why do you think anyone wants to hear from you too why do you think the parents want to hear from you it's pretty well known by now that it's a movie so let's just uh you know not call the parents but i know heather like pieced the fuck out of everything and went and uh, got herself a weed farm and wrote a little memoir about her weed farm. So, you know, that's 
that's a nice relaxing thing to do. And then one of them married Allison Pill. Yeah. So like, which I didn't know until recently. I didn't either. Yeah. Um. So that's wild. And then there's the third one who I don't know what became of him, but. Well, if you want to talk about, I mean, just to go back to Cannibal Holocaust for one second. Um, <laughs> I'm listening. You're here for it. Um, so it, it, the ethics of that, I mean, is so much worse because actually yeah, the sure. lead actor was told, hey, we're going to film this movie um, in South America. We're going to fly you down to star in it. And he was like, what's the role? And they were like, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. And he was like, Jesus. okay, you're not going to tell me what it is. And they like did not tell him until he was on location. And then, you know, I mean, the things that happen in this movie, it is, you know, up to others to seek that out. But uh, yeah, so there is this trend of definitely bordering on abusive treatment i mean i don't even know if it's bordering on it um because what is consent when you don't really know what's gonna happen in the movie but uh right yeah so and like what's what's remarkable about that kind of i mean it's a different era for sure but like in almost every way it's less successful like blair witch not only is beloved and was financially successful but like also literally created a genre or at least if not created the found footage genre but like cemented it as a thing that we are going to be either saddled with or get to see for a for a long time right like it was successful in like every metric and like cannibal holocaust is wild but it's just like a cult movie. Like all of these like extreme measures they took didn't really work. Like it's no. not like people are like, oh, that financially and commercially and critically successful film, Cannibal Holocaust, right? Like it's just like it's an oddity almost. It's just a banned movie. It's just the most banned. And that's what he <laughs> did, you know? So I guess he lives in infamy. Um, and there's the also like the whole yeah. like actual like abuse against animals and stuff like that in that movie oh, that yeah. like is real and like or, is, you know. Yeah legitimate reasons to boycott that also like i saw that at the draft house like not the first time but i saw that at the draft house in austin at a feast where they pair uh, the movie with food and they had like turtle soup and stuff with it so like it was oh a whole my thing. god Ew. it was like a whole nope. it was wonderful <laughs> I, let me see, i'm gonna see if i can find the menu and i will talk about that because this Dude, is also i a like horror episode. but not no no <laughs> i could go i definitely will never see cannibal holocaust again and wouldn't probably have seen it if it weren't for uh, research, but I did a lot of um, 10 seconds forward that you can do, you know, where you kind of skip through things really oh, sure. fast. But uh, yeah. It's... Oh, I saw that on Valentine's Day in 2015. Oh, that's right. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't find the uh, the menu, but I have the... Oh my God. Yeah. Super cool. <clears throat> um, Feel free to cut start... whatever Cannibal Holocaust No, no, no. Cut all the Blair Witch stuff. This is now just about Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> Let's talk about Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, um, released one year after the Blair Witch Project. Um, Chelsea, have you seen it? Yes, I actually can speak more to this than you would expect because um, before <laughs> I had American Hysteria, I did a different show that was um, about sort of a meta look at true crime content ah. through talking to people who make it. And Joe Berlinger, who's the director of Book of Shadows, also is the documentarian behind um, Paradise Lost, the three documentaries about the West Memphis Three um, who were falsely imprisoned for an uh, apparent alleged satanic ritual that happened in the 90s um, right. and uh, that ended up with three uh, children 
dead. So uh, it was a long, 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 you know, decade and a half, maybe even 20 years of the satanic panic, one of the worst iterations of what that meant, uh, and the process of getting those uh, teenagers at the time uh, in their 30s, maybe by the end of it, mm. um, yeah. maybe just their late 20s. But, yeah. you know, by the end, it was, uh, they were able to get them out. So, uh, he came to Book of Shadows, which is definitely a much more satanic panic version, uh-huh. uh, meta, and I haven't watched it in a long time, so correct yeah. me if you've watched it recently, but a um, the plot, which I love, and I don't think it's, I mean, people say it's a really bad movie, but I, I think it's pretty fun, um, and I enjoy it because it's, you know, it's meta, it's like kind of the, the scream version of Blair Witch and that, you know, people are going to go on a tour of the woods because they're fans of the Blair Witch and then they <laughs> they meet their their fate. Um, much like I wonder if the Titanic that they have apparently been making for its next voyage will just sink. We'll see. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I keep thinking that it's just like, don't go on that Titanic, man. Oh, never. <laughs> don't no. do it. What a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I want to go on it, but just not the first time. Um, but anyway. It'll uh... sink It'll sink on the one that you're on. Like, yes. that's how it works. That's I feel right. like you got to yeah. go on the first one or never. Like, you can't, you can't, no half measures, Walter. Like, you got to go on the first one and then that's just true. hope for the best. I wonder if they have not enough lifeboats, not enough by half. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it is fun, and he. When I spoke to Joe Berlinger, he did not like how it turned out because he didn't have final cut, which is mm. a woe of the industry. And uh, but he had a really interesting. You know, he didn't really like talking about it because I was like, you know, we talked about all of his serious work. And then I was like, but what about Book of Shadows? And he was like, mm, I don't want to talk about Book of Shadows. But he definitely uh, said something about feeling like the original Blair Witch was partially responsible for what would become fake news as we say it today. And I thought wow. that was harsh, but um, it was... Uh, it is ju- – I mean, I don't find that to be true at all because the history of media hoaxes is as old as, you know, America itself. So right, right, um, sure. I don't find – I don't think that's particularly true. But, you know, I think what is really interesting is the satanic imagery, um, ritual, metal type vibe of um, Blair Witch 2 probably – a lot of it came from the director's own experience fighting against actual false accusations of the satanic panic. Yeah, that, that's why when I said when you were talking in the original about them sort of um, avoiding the the pitfalls of satanic panic imagery and lore, uh, you know, the first thing I thought of was like, and then in the sequel, <laughs> they hire a very famous documentarian <laughs> to not make a documentary style sequel. That's all about like the satanic panic. And he's famous for making a documentary about the satanic panic. And it's like, how, like what a weird upside down way of, I mean, it's so bizarre. Like just those, those facts on themselves is a super bizarre thing to say, right. Yeah. As, as a, like, how are we going to follow this up? Yeah. It's like, oh, I mean, 
one of those would be fine. Just be like, make a straight sequel movie that's kind of meta and is sort of not a documentary style and is just a teen horror, whatever. You can do that. But like, why is Joe Berlinger there? And it's still something I've never quite understood. Like, whose idea was it to be like, this guy should hire, should direct this movie that is not at all in his wheelhouse and is nothing like the original movie. I, I, that That just, I can't get my head or do you know why he was hired i don't i might have known at some point but i, <laughs> I don't remember now uh but yeah it was a strange choice but then he went on to make the movie that i never remember the name of the one that's like extremely horrible and wickedly vile or whatever about oh, the zach efron Ted, movie yeah the zach efron yeah. ted bundy uh piece so go he... check out zach attack for more information on that we covered that movie over there mm. <laughs> He's a pretty good Ted Bundy, I think. Yes, I he think was. he did good. I agree. Was there another sequel between Book of Shadows and the 2016 Blair Witch or no? No. Because when that movie came out, so I love Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard. They made two of my favorite movies of all time. They made The Guest and You're Next. And I was like, I am all in for anything they do. And they were making, they had announced this movie that they're making this movie like like called like The Woods or something. Yeah, I'm like, this it's is called The Woods. This is cool. Yeah, yes, right. yes. And then it was like at Comic-Con. They're like, just kidding. It's called Blair Witch and you get to see it right now. And I'm like, that's kind of a bummer. Like, and not <laughs> not because of any, you know, resentment or affinity or, or dis- whatever to the Blair Witch. But I'm like, I would rather see them do like a unique original thing than like another. And I remember people hated that movie yeah and i i liked and i i watched it and i liked it and i like them and i think it's good but i was just like i don't know and i wonder i really do wonder if like how much of the because i think it's to some extent but how much of the resentment was because it was a sequel or a reboot or whatever you want to think about to the blair witch project like if it was own thing i don't know that there would have been the backlash that there was I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole, like what that became and like the sort of unique marketing campaign around that movie too. Wasn't it supposed to be a documentary about it or like a revelation of more of the footage or something? Cause I remember being really excited about it in a way that was like really different than it being another Blair Witch, right? Like it was supposed to be, I don't know. Cause then, yeah. And then it was suddenly just a Blair Witch I guess sequel. Um, yeah, sequel. And then I was just like, they gotta have a guest appearance. I just wanted that guest appearance so bad, even if it was just a flash. Um, but you know, no one wanted to do it. So I don't know. I don't remember it that well. I saw it one time and I, you know, I'm a purist, I guess, because I was um I didn't hate it or anything. I just kind of was like, okay, yeah, that was and like think, a teen movie. That was yeah, fun. and that's that's yeah. that's where I have the benefit of like not having the affinity toward the first movie because I could wa- kind of watch it like yeah. objectively. But I I don't I haven't listened to it. But I they are sort of known for having like really really good audio commentaries, and I believe that the mm. audio commentary for that is like particularly good because I think they talk about like the backlash they face. And I think that it's worth seeking out because I think they're very, they're both very talented. Like Simon Barrett's a great screenwriter and I think Adam Wingard's a great filmmaker and Adam Wingard actually involved in the racer trash Blair Witch PR project, like that whole, like he did one of the segments <laughs> in that. So anyway, he, he loves the franchise clearly, but like they have, they have this like, un, I don't know why they're able to, or why they do it, but they're like, they're very open and honest on their director's commentaries. 
And I, I remember there being like revelations on that one. So, you know, even if you didn't love that movie, I think it's worth seeking out the DVD and listening to the commentary. You know, they're just fascinating dudes who like are open in a way that I feel like most filmmakers kind of aren't and like are told not to be sort of right. So I don't know. That sounds great. Yeah. And I would totally give it another chance. I, it did not anger me. You know what I mean? I didn't walk out being like, <laughs> I hated that. Um <laughs> Which is which is good. I say for horror, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> did not anger me. Yeah, right on there on the uh, on the New York Times one page spread. <laughs> did not anger me. <laughs> Was not outwardly pissed off at this movie. Um, Just inwardly, one... <laughs> I hit it very well. Uh, spinning off of something Joey said, um, Chelsea. One more thing I want to ask you before we go, which is. So, Joey, you referred to this as a franchise, and what it is ultimately did I? Is, is it? I don't know. Okay, you, well, you said it has more than two movies, so it's a franchise, and there's um, more coming. Well, I this hear. is what I want to talk to you about, right? So, I uh, this is my question. So, there's what you have is one unique movie that can't be replicated. That was, you know, again part of a whole multimedia project, um, incredibly elaborate. And, and with a ton of creative investment from like everybody involved. And then you have Book of Shadows. And then, <laughs> and then, and then you have, you know, 16 years later, like a weird kind of rebootish attempt at bringing some of that back that nobody really cared about, um, but I guess didn't make anybody angry. Um, so yeah, we, we just got word that there is more in the works that there's some kind of Blair Witch reboot um, uh, project happening. And I guess what I'd ask you is like, what should they do with this? Like nothing seems to have worked so far to either recapture the magic or to use the lore in a way that's effective and can create another really sort of, you know, notable movie that people are going to be really into what would you do? Like how how should they how should they go about rebooting this or like what should be next, do you think? I say prequel. Like get back into the lore, you know, like yeah. even if it's like I would man, if it was me, I'd do like three different plot lines because you know it's like in the lore it's it's the time where they're talking about rustin parr the child murderer and i think that's like the 50s or something and they talk about you know a woman who was burned at the stake who is like perhaps the origin story of the blair witch and um you know maybe throw something modern in you know for the teens um but (laughs) (laughs) and for me i need a party scene in every horror movie um but i would also say bring back eduardo sanchez um and what's the name what's the other person's name i always forget yes yes thank you thank you um and you know, because Eduardo Sanchez, did you guys watch Yellow Jackets? Yeah. Yeah. So he directed the finale, actually, of Yellow Jackets. Oh, so okay. Cool, cool, cool. He's out here doing cool shit. And I yeah. just think, you know, I mean, why not team up with your dudes and work together and uh, just give us, like, I don't like a period piece, but I would like this period piece. <laughs> yeah, because there's plenty to mine, really, from so just much. take the sci-fi channel special and just, like, you know, pick that apart and and make make those movies. I totally agree with what- you. Would you like a, and I, I don't know, maybe this is, I, I don't remember enough of the time. Would you like like a meta, a meta take on it or no? Because I guess I, I don't know enough about Book of Shadows other than like what you guys just 
talked about, but I wonder if like they they go out to like dispel it or they go out to like I don't know, but I feel like I because I think I think the issue is you can't do the same thing as the first one, right? Right. You definitely because can. you can't do yeah. it better. Even if you don't like love the first movie, I think for what it's trying to do, I think it's Im- Im- immensely successful. So you can't do the same thing. So you have to do something different. Yeah, and I don't think you can do a found footage, right? Again, I just don't think yeah. you can. Pull I don't think off. so. Yeah, yeah no, so. it wouldn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, yeah. Which I think I, I think the 2016 was found footage. Maybe I think it I might think. have been. I think it might have been found yeah, footage. Yeah, and it was so. Heather's little brother going to find her okay yeah so like i wonder stupid so so i i I, while we were while we were talking i found there's a 31 things we learned from the blair witch commentary that i put in the chat here that we can take a look at you guys check out later but like it feels like lionsgate really kind of meddled with what they wanted to do so like it it clearly wasn't the movie that they necessarily wanted Mm -hmm. to make so i don't know but i feel like i think you're right chelsea you can't do found footage you can't do the same thing you can't really retread i don't know what you do i feel like Oh, here's an even better meta. Sorry, I just got excited. No, 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 please. Like, um, about the making of it somehow, right? I don't know how that. Nah, (laughs) I didn't think that out too much, but (laughs) oh, kind of like a um, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but for the Blair Witch Project. Literally said the next thing I was gonna say. Um, That movie's great. No, that's great. (laughs) We're just on the same page. Yeah, it's a great movie. Great movie. I wonder, like, you know, yeah. No. <laughs> so like the so the the movie that we're talking about today from 1999 is about the people who find the footage and we're watching the footage like do you, so I feel like if I had any recollection of the 2016 movie or I had seen Book of Shadows I would be able to say this with more authority but like what if it's just like about the people who find the footage ooh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh. which is again oh, a like cannibal that. Holocaust thing <laughs> yes it is cannibal Holocaust because there's also the thing of like. What I don't necessarily fully understand about this movie is that, like, at certain points, Heather's like, I-, I think I have enough footage. I'll figure it out. I'll edit it later. Whatever. And they're they're shooting on film or whatever. But we're also kind of led to believe that, like, what we're watching is their unedited footage. Like, there's – it's it can't be because, like, if there's, like, overlapping dialogue of people talking over other footage and, like, someone assembled mm-hmm. this in a mm-hmm. way. Ooh. I like that. And I don't oh, know if I there's like a movie it. there, I like but I feel I like, like there's something possible about, like – so okay, in 1995, they find the thing in the burned down building and blah blah blah, and they're putting it together. Maybe I don't know. There's also that like Archive 81 show on Netflix this year that like kind of got into that. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, this is such a cool premise, and like the, the show completely whiffed. And I was just like, oh, but like the idea of like finding footage, like literally finding found footage, right, and like doing something with it, and like compiling it or editing it or like telling a story out of it. Like maybe there's something there, but I don't also don't know if there's like. Unless the unless the witch is like haunting the editor, which is like, why would they? <laughs> well, why would that what happen? About Blair Witch for the editor. <laughs> yeah, I don't what know. What about if? Well, here, what if it's sort of like, why did they leave out what they left out, and what story would that have told? Like, kind of a conspiracy type. You yeah, know, yeah, maybe yeah. there's more to it. Like these murders could have occurred, but there were like powerful shadow groups involved. There was like and, a cover Yeah, up. a cover up. And I mean, something that I think is one of the most beautiful details they wrote is that when they found the footage, it was buried beneath a, like a colonial wall and it like couldn't have gotten there. Like they were excavating this thing for whatever reason and it was like buried deep under 
oh, well, it's just so good. Like, it's so freaky that, like, it just, it's just so freaky to me. So that finding yeah. that would be like freaky, just yeah. like these whoever finding VHS tapes. And they're just like, how did these get here? It's like a physically maybe, impossible. Maybe, and this is not what you were saying at all, but what you said reminded me, maybe they build leftovers, John, and like they show the actual, like the original building. It's like what became Miracle. <laughs> they show like maybe yeah. the witch. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think no matter what, I think what we have concluded here is that the three of us should write this. So you know. no, I don't think we've proved that <laughs> at all. I think we have like a, a bunch of half baked ideas. <laughs> They're that, all like, awesome. <laughs> we we either need to get like real high and like fully flesh them out, or just not do it at all. Because like I don't think no offense to any of us, myself mostly, I don't think anything we've said here has been even remotely good. Like I think they've all like. They're all like approaching interesting and just like that's terrible. So well, they're all the start of really good ideas. And maybe I will agree with one. that. They're the know, start but, of good uh, ideas. Okay. I yeah. mean, we're gonna yeah. see what they come up with for the next series yeah. of films and we'll see if it's better than what we came up with. Or if it's anything like this, we'll just sue them. Yeah. We'll like you listen to the podcast. I think first. it's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's finish up. So Joey, um, do you want to ask Chelsea our final questions? Oh, yeah. So we have two questions, and I think the answer to the first one is obvious, but do you have a favorite movie from the year 1999? Oh, yeah. I mean, I yes, The Blair Witch Project. I would also say um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very nice good answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, is one of those your favorite movie of all time, or is your favorite movie of all time a different movie? My favorite movie of all time is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. So, <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, in terms of horror favorites, uh, my favorite horror movies are Blair Witch Project, Stephen King's It from 1990, and um, Scream. So, yeah. Oh, and you guys talked about It on the Killer Clowns episode of Hard to Believe, right? Is that oh, right? yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other, yeah. Definitely. That was so yeah. fun. I had such a good time doing that with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. Cool. Wait, so what, what was the third? So you said Blair Witch, It, and what was the third one? Scream. Oh, Scream. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Flawless. Classic. So, so I have a question. Okay. With Rocky Horror, do you, like, only love – or so – is part of your love of it like the participation thing where you throw stuff at the screen or do you just like watching it on its own? Like, because there's a lot, there's like two different versions of that movie, right? There's one where you're like dancing along and there's one where you're just watching it home. And maybe, you know, I hadn't actually thought of the fact that these are both like participate, like these movies have its own yeah. world. And I guess that's obviously something that I am very fond of. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I definitely started watching it at about it was my dad's favorite movie or it is my dad's favorite movie so he showed me it when i was i don't know like 11 or 12 or something and i just like absolutely loved it and i'm sure that had to do with like being a queer kid not fully understanding it and it just like (laughs) resonating with me on some kind of cellular level um but i love musicals as well and i think the music in it is just absolutely fantastic and bizarre and um it's just pure pure camp um and yeah, I just, I, I love going to see it, but it's not like, I'm, I'm not like a Rocky Horror kid. Um, it just is Got my it. favorite movie and uh, I'm too old to go to midnight showings anymore. So I don't really oh go. I'm very tired most of the time. 
<laughs> I'd be too old for like a 9 p.m. showing yeah. uh, at this point in my life. But I do want I just I I I ham I ham fistedly jammed it in earlier, but I do want to shout out once again Racer Trash, who like the bunch of like <laughs> Hollywood editors who during the pandemic took a bunch of existing movies and recut them and cut in other movies and everything like that. And they did a very good job. Uh, it's it's supremely weird and surreal and like wildly different than the one I talk about when we release our Eyes Wide Shut episode. But their version of Blair, which is actually longer than the actual Blair Witch Project, <laughs> and it is it has almost nothing to do with this movie, even though it has everything to do with the movie. So it's all available for free on the internetarchive.org or whatever that website is. Uh, but look, Internet Archive, Racer Trash, and they have Blairwitch.pr proj, like uh, Adobe Premiere Project. And it's so weird and good. And I highly recommend that and all their stuff. So check that out. Whether you like Blair Witch or not, if you're listening to this episode, I think you would uh, appreciate at least checking out. And there's some Jacob's Ladder stuff in there, too, for you, John. So uh, <laughs> the overall menacing vibe of Jacob's oh, Ladder is, is somehow, for some reason, in Blairwitch.pr Proj. So there you go. That's my plug. I'm a big fan of that movie. For some guy I have nothing to do with. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chelsea, you've already plugged your show. Do you want to plug anything else before we go? No. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, but keep a lookout for the sequels to Blair Witch that will be written by all of us yes, in the near future. I will plug that. Yes. Um, but hopefully you'll be back uh, I would in the love future to be. for another episode. Yes. And, um, anytime. Having you. Awesome. Um, Chelsea, thanks. Joey, thanks. And we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you, guys. <laughs>